For almost 10 years now, Movie Geeks United has provided up to a thousand filmmaker interviews, original series like the Kubrick series, the art of cinematography, the art of the score, the art of the documentary, the Tinseltown Tragedy series. We're even branching out and doing special events now, like film festivals and the recent Kartemquin Films 50th Anniversary Gala. We've done all of this in the hopes of creating a haven where all movie geeks can unite and learn and share a common love for the art form of the movies. We want to continue producing all the great content that you love and support with your listenership, but we need your support if you're able to give it. If you visit our website at moviegeeksunited.net, click the donate link at the top of the page. That'll take you to instructions on how you can participate in supporting the show. Thank you. United, everybody. Tonight's show is literally, has been literally eight years in the making. 2008 marked the first time we've ever attempted this show, which has since become an annual tradition. We thought to ourselves, why don't we celebrate the summer season 25 years previously? So we started with 1983, and now we are up to 1991. So tonight... The Movie Geeks are here. We're all going to discuss every release that summer. And we're joined by our great friend, the one that started with us from the very beginning of this series, Aaron Adidas. Hey, buddy. Hey, how you doing, guys? Hey, Aaron. How are you? Well, uh, well, welcome back. Good. Well, so that means more than you know. That, that phrase means more than you know. It's good to be back on this side. <laughs> Well, we're blessed to have you, man. Yeah, we are. Um, 1991, I always open with a general question about that that year, that season in general. Uh, remembrances in general, was it a good season? Was it a good year for movies or not? Uh, I remember 91 vividly. Uh, it was a roller coaster uh, summer. I mean, like every summer, there's truly bad movies, um, but then there's, you know, truly great movies, and then the ones in between, you know, you're surprised that, you know, you had the surprises, uh, and so, you know, it was just, there always seemed to be something interesting, good or bad, even the, even the duds, which we'll get into, are kind of, they're more interesting than probably some of the duds that we have today. And uh, also, the I guess the two key trends starting to emerge in '91 
is uh, the black new wave and indie movies uh, are really starting yeah. to come into their own uh, uh, that summer. I remember thinking that um, <clears throat> the movies were turning darker. You know, uh, you know, it was, you know, that summer was right after the, uh, the hit of Silence of the Lambs, and and uh, I just, I, I, you know, things like, you know, uh, JFK was about to come up, and so that was that was all on everybody's minds, uh, you know. But you know, as as we'll see in the list. Uh, which is shocking when you go over the list of movies in comparison to the kinds of movies that are coming out in the summer today. It's just it's yeah. just like night and day because there was room for all kinds of movies uh, mm-hmm. uh, in in the summer of '91. Uh, uh, you know, all kinds of studio movies uh, and indies, uh, but uh, it's it's just completely different now. So. And I mean, you know, it, it, you'll see, you know, that there's there's a little bit of a dark tinge to things, uh, even in the summer films. So, um, but yeah, that was my memory. Right. I, I, I mean, uh, yeah, as opposed to the non-stop non-stop escapist fare that we get today, and a lot of the fare that we get today are are things that I'd like to escape from, mm-hmm. <laughs> not escape into. Jerry, what do you think? Yes. I, I think it's a very lukewarm summer. I think it's the beginning. I mean, you got to remember, this is the, the big movie of the summer is Terminator 2, the first $100 million movie um, to make. Yeah. You know, it cost $100 million to make. So that's the movie that hangs, like, over the whole summer. It, and, you know, and it still actually holds up okay by uh, today's standards. Do I think it's a darker summer, though? I don't know. I mean, what films are we talking about that we think are darker? That's what I'm really curious about. I mean, are we talking about Boys in the Hood, Jungle Fever? I mean, we sure as hell aren't talking about Yeah, Thelma and Louise. I mean, a a summer movie that ends like Thelma and Louise. I mean, uh, when was the last time we saw that? And Robin Robin Hood was, I mean, that got a lot of, as big a hit as it was, it got a lot of flack for not being a, you know, it was, it got, you know, it was the, the the selling point on on that Robin Hood was that it was a uh, the rough and tumble, gritty Robin Hood as opposed to the Errol Flynn, and there was a lot of talk of the violence in that Robin Hood. Uh, mm-hmm. And so yeah, and you know, it, it was kind of the uh, the the Batman, the Tim Burton Batman effect. The the adventure movies were getting a little. I mean, to the point the Rocketeer was was seen as square. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that was, was part, part of its failure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that is. I mean, The Rocketeer was not... I mean, I'm not one of these people that has a hankering for The Rocketeer. I could take or leave it um, back then or today. I, I don't really have any strong affinity for that movie. I don't really have much for the Robin Hood movie either, but I don't remember it being gritty or dark or anything. I just remember it being sort of... Um, you don't remember the POV of uh, Maid Marian's legs being spread apart as... Uh, as the sheriff of Nottingham was about to rape her? I, just don't, I didn't think much of it at the time because it just didn't leave much of an impact. It was sort of what I'd call PC Robin Hood, um, mm-hmm. thinking back at the time. Um, I didn't think much of it. I mean, one way or the other, I just thought it was sort of like, because um, it was Kevin Reynolds directed that, right? Um, yeah. yeah. But yeah we're I mean, it was like, for, for us, it was like Fandango Light. 
Um, if you really want to be honest, truth, watching that movie. Um, I, I just don't, you know, when we think of dark, I just don't think of that Robin Hood. I don't even think of Thelma and Louise as dark. Um, I thought Thelma and Louise was very exhilarating, very liberating, mm. but dark was not, dark is not the word I would use to describe it, thinking back on yeah, it. You know, it's, got, it's, it, 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 it's, it's got an ending that uh, studios would change for being too dark nowadays. You, well, you will not have your two lead characters kill themselves. At the end of any movie made today. <laughs> true, true, but I just don't. And dark is not the first word that comes to mind when thinking of that it, movie. Even if your movie uh, is called Suicide Squad, your two lead characters will not commit suicide. <laughs> well, suicide. I mean, yeah, we, and we, you we, won't we, have a movie called Dying Young being at the center of the <laughs> at the center <laughs> of the lineup. May third, we have, and it it should be noted that still at this time, summer is more or less kicking off on Memorial Day, but uh-huh. now now summer, but, you know, as opposed to now where summer is all year round. But mm-hmm. going at May 3rd, you can kind of feel them trying to stretch out the summer. Uh, maybe not this week, because this summer, May 3rd, we get One Good Cop, A Rage in Harlem, and Truly Madly, uh, Deeply, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And nothing. Reagan Harlan is probably the best film in that lot. Uh, I'll uh, give you that. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Although I I have tremendous affection for Truly Madly Deeply, particularly for uh, the two lead performances, um, Juliet Stevenson and Alan Rickman, particularly yeah. Juliet Stevenson. Uh, it's kind of like the the better version of Ghost, uh, in my opinion. And uh, of course, it was directed by Anthony Minghella. One of his first movies, so so I uh, and it's a movie that I really didn't discover until it came on VHS. I have right, to say. right. But yeah. uh, um, one good cop that was a that was kind of a Michael <laughs> Keaton dud, right? Well, what it was, yeah. What, yeah. The sad part of one good cop it was a reteaming of uh, Michael Keaton with the uh, writer director Haywood Gould, and they'd actually made a good movie uh, five six years earlier called Touch and Go. Right. Uh, and so they reteam, and I guess Michael Keaton was just maybe a little too loyal to him, and that movie was just pretty, just pretty bad. Although it had a really it, nice it, one good supporting performance by Cop, One good cop reminds me of. Is it a Touchstone movie? Yes. yes. No, Hollywood. I think it's Hollywood. Okay. Pick, I think it's an early oh, Hollywood. Oh, okay. Pictures. Okay. Hollywood well, pictures. they're all owned by Disney, uh, yeah. so so they they were they were trying to be like the adult division of Disney, and I think. It started with something like Ruthless People or something years earlier. Yeah. But um, they came out with all of these bland dramas. Yeah. Uh, and that and, and One Good Cop fits that mold. Why are you doing this? I lost a good man. His name was Steve DeRome. Detectives like him and you. It's just too hard to replace. So go home, Lewis. And remember, Michael Keaton was trying to, you know, he was in between Batman's. And so he was coming off of uh, Pacific Heights, another kind of yuppie thriller that really wasn't that good. Uh, and so then he just went on to Batman Returns, which was probably a smart move on his part. Uh, so then, uh, was May the Rage 10th, in Harlem was that was Rage in Harlem? Bill Duke. Who yeah, Bill Rage Duke uh-huh. with okay. Whitaker and Robin Gibbons and Gregory Hines and it was Danny a, Glover. It's a really good movie. It's still, I think, it actually still holds up. Very good, very well today, actually. So, I mean, yeah. So, May 10th, we get FX2, 
And then the summer movie, we get Madonna, Truth or Dare, uh, the Brian Brown film, Sweet Talker, and Ellen Barkin, Switch. Now, the best film of that four is Ma- the Madonna documentary, Far and Away. Oh, yeah. That, that that's, uh, it's, that's just an amazing... You know, that ranks with the Bob Dylan, you know, Don't don't Look Now. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. He just wants to fuck me. <laughs> he really cares about me. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. I have to. I have to be honest. I've never. I've never made the time to watch that. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. Oh my yeah. god! It's still fascinating. It's, it's um, Madonna at the peak of her power. The blonde ambition to her. Uh, you see her humanity. You see her power. You see her narcissism. Uh, you see it all. Um, just, and you see, you, know, you see, I know I've seen the scene with her, uh, her and Warren Beatty, with Warren Beatty backstage or something, and right. yeah. he's just kind of yeah. drinking into the background. <laughs> there's Warren Beatty. There's the not, there's the lovely moment with her talking to her father on the phone, and he's wanting to see if she can get him tickets to a show, and she's like, "Yes, Dad, I can get you tickets." And <laughs> Kevin Costner comes backstage and he, he says the show is neat. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's the rifle sequel to Dick Tracy. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it really is the rifle sequel. Um, I mean, the other movies you mentioned, though, it's the same that FX2, which they're really shit. I mean, the first one was so good, and this one was just so blah. Um, or Switch, which this was another nail in Ellen Barkin's coffin at the time, I thought. Well, I I can defend Switch. Switch is redeemed by a great Ellen Barkin performance in a script that doesn't want to go as far as the audience is wanting it to go. Right. I, Switch, I, I, I'll give you that to an extent. If Switch, but was, I mean, if Switch was done today, and, you know, in the age of Caitlyn Jenner, you know, in the era of Caitlyn Jenner and stuff, yeah. I, I think Switch could be an amazing film. <laughs> That's time for a remake. Barkin does give an amazingly physical performance in that film. I just wish the script was a little more... It doesn't play with the sexuality of it that it could have. Mm-hmm. Well, and when you think about when you think about Ellen Barkin, I mean, she was such a unique presence. There was something mm-hmm. so kind of brassy and ballsy about her. And I get the sense that most filmmakers probably did not know what to do with her because she was so authentic and tough. Yeah. And the closest they could come, the closest they could come to figuring out what to do with her was to have her play a man. Yeah, I mean, Jamie's absolutely right. And she probably would have been willing to go further than the script than the script wanted it to go, but uh, yeah. you know, the script only went so far. Following week, we have oh, this is amazing. We'll have a nice little here's a good discussion. Uh, we got Dice Rules, <laughs> Mannequin Two on the Move, <laughs> Stone Cold. Oh man! And what about Bob? Now well, the, the last one's a classic. There's no doubt about I, that. I I I like What About Bob. I was never crazy about What About Bob just because. Um, I 
personally, I have a problem. I stories about you know guests who don't go away. You know, <laughs> they Not really, my favorite thing. They really get under my skin like that. You, me, it, and Dupree, and does other it feel types. like? Is it, does it feel like? I mean, first it's kind of like irritainment. It's not really entertainment. It's irritainment. And uh, is, does it feel more like just sort of like a one joke kind of thing that's pounded into the pounded it, in the ground for you? It, it, it's it is irritating, and it, it's 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 irritation. And nine times out of ten, I wind up siding with the person who's being irritated. Um, mm. The only you know, though, uh, I think the, there is a little difference in What About Bob in that <clears throat> they do make uh, Richard Dreyfus into such a ass wipe yeah. that, well, the, uh, the that you kind of want to see him get it. Well, I think they, they do a good job of that. They're both. And plus, they make uh, Bill Murray not too irritating. He's got other sides of him that are uh that are kind of charming. The, the to me yeah. the only film that's ever done it right is uh Chuck and Buck. And so I mean, yes, it's funny, I do laugh. It's I I actually laugh more with Julie Haggerty's the Julie Haggerty stuff. I think she's kid, funny in it, yeah. And the kids are good I, I always like Charlie Cosmo. I was always a good good actor. Right, uh, right. But, you know, I I remember the film was a big surprise hit when it came out. I and I guess Thought it was kind of, it was funny, but I didn't. Think people it was, still like it. People still like yeah. it, and they still oh, talk yeah, about it. it. I beloved, watched it a, a couple of weeks comedy. ago. Oh. Mm. Stone Cold, obviously. You really you think so? I mean, no. that's um. Now that is the one with um, with the Boz or whatever his name yeah. was. I mean, that yeah. was his. I can say his ticket into the action world. His one one way ticket, and that was it. Um, yeah. He got stamped and he got returned. Um, and then of course, <laughs> Dice Rules was. We all know that was a film that was on the shelf for about a year, and then they just ceremoniously dropped it. This you know because by the summer of '91, Dice. Fever had kind of just oh, dissipated. Is that a concert yeah. movie? Yeah, that's his concert movie. Yeah. When I was in college, there are two people that um, people that guys look up to. One was Dice Clay, and the other one is the Republican nominee for president right now, um, Donald Trump. They were both very popular in '89 and '90. The art of the deal was went hand in hand with that um, comedy CD that Andrew Dice Clay released. You know, both loud, brash, obnoxious pieces of shit. Um, one had talent, the other one doesn't. Um, but it's very interesting they're both in the public eye again. Yeah, Trump and I think that Dice Clay uh, has done a good job yeah. at kind of re- redefining. I mean, he was great in the Woody Allen movie, and I, yeah, I would prayer. love to see if I would I would love to see him follow that track. I don't think he should fully embrace the old Dice persona again. 
I think he's been there. I think he needs to reach another level. And Dice is right on one point. He said, uh, I remember when he was giving interviews around the time of Blue Jasmine. He says, you know, now what's amazing is that now female comics have, you know, they're now doing my material. And yeah. it is true. The the you know, you listen to someone like Lisa Amy Lampanelli. Sch- yeah, yeah. A- Amy Schumer or Ali Wong, uh, Jenny Slate. I mean. Oh yeah, I mean these are all, all yeah. They're, they're all the daughters of Dice, and it's kind of amazing. Mm. Uh, the but, daughters of Dice. That would be a good. No, that's, I want to make that movie. It's like Daughters <laughs> of Dracula. That's a better, that's right? a whole tour. That's a whole that's a, you know. Uh, <laughs> so now now we come to Memorial Day weekend. So this is the real. We didn't weekend, even so. talk about Mannequin Two though. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to, and, I mean, I'm a little. I mean, did you watch it in the theater? I didn't see it in the theater. Not, I don't nothing even know if I, I can't. I can't remember the second one. I remember the first one very nothing's vividly. Gonna, nothing's not, going to stop us from talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> is that? Uh, is this the movie with nothing's going to stop us now? The first one. The it first was the one. first one. Okay. Hmm. All right. Uh, sure. What Oscar, was the song from this one? <laughs> I don't. Uh, funky, funky cold Medina, maybe. I don't. Know. <laughs> maybe, maybe that could be it. So Memorial Day weekend, finally we get a bunch of movies. We get Backdraft. Uh, what do we get? We get Backdraft, Hanging with the Homeboys, Hudson Hawk, uh, Only the Lonely, Thelma and Louise, and Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. Now, what I find interesting about this, a couple of things. One is that the two big films, Backdraft and Thelma and Louise, are R-rated. Um, and they're both, you could say, I mean, obviously Backdraft was sold as an action film, like, you know, this as an action film, but really it's a, it's an ensemble drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so is Thelma and Louise. Both, it's a two-hander drama. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, um, I would say the best of that of that lot is probably Thelma and Louise, followed by Backdraft. Uh, Backdraft gets kind of dumped on a lot just because Ron Howard gets dumped on a lot. I think we're I think we're finally going to get into that point in his career of Ron Howard revisionism, uh, which is something I've been doing for a long time. I've always thought he's underrated director. His he may not be a flashy director, uh, but He's one of the top three, four directors when it comes to hand wrangling ensembles. Mm-hmm. Uh, Backdraft is a good example of that. And uh, Thelma and Louise is is uh, earthbound Ridley Scott, and like Max Dickman, and it's what's really good. And I guess the underrated one of that group is only the lonely. I would agree with that. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think yeah. that's that's one of. John Candy's best performances, and and also it's uh, is it Maureen O'Hara that's playing his uh, yeah. mother or Margaret yeah. O'Sullivan or I can't remember now. I, think, yeah. I can't remember either. I'm I'm not in front of a computer, but it's the movie that I you know it's how do I say it's the movie that's only grown in stature since his death. I mean, when after he died, that was the film that people were like, wow, he really he really gave it his all in that movie. Um, that Maureen movie. O'Hara. Marino had. Well, John yeah. Hughes knew, you know, oddly enough, John Hughes probably knew uh, Candy's range better than anyone. 
And so mm-hmm. he could write for him both comically and show the only the lonely. Well, uh, well, in fact, well, it's actually a Chris Columbus movie. <laughs> so I mean, Hughes might be in there as a producer, but uh, it's as uh, as the writer and director is Chris Columbus. Oh, really? well, same right. thing. I mean, they mm. pro- they 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 both probably knew. Um, mm. But uh, but well, I let think, me just say I this think, um, uh, about uh, Thelma and Louise. There are very few m- movies. You're lucky if you get one a year that become become a cultural event. But Thelma and mm-hmm. Louise, I think, out of all of the movies from the summer, was that. It, yeah. it did become a statement. It did become a statement about. Feminism, female empowerment, and and even the and then the detractors of the movie said, "Is this really the movie we want to hang those themes on? I mean, is it good enough to hold up like a female empowerment or a, a, a pro-feminism message?" Um, so th- there was a lot of discussion going around the periphery of the movie itself, and the movie kind of drew out. I, I I agree with all that, but I want to also add something about. Another thing about Thelma and Louise, that's like Ridley Scott's biggest box office success to date. And he had not oh. had success after Alien. Remember, Blade Runner was more of a cult film. Uh, Legend was a dud financially. Um, you know, Someone to Watch Over Me um, and, and Black Rain was okay. But remember, Thelma and Louise was, was the lifeline that gave Ridley Scott a whole new life in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget that. We we forget yeah. that now. And um, it, it allowed him to epic. squander it on 1492. But that's yeah, yeah. He, 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 a movie where you could disappear for an hour in the bathroom and not miss anything, as I can I can uh, make testament to. Um, talking about a movie where nothing happens. Um, but let's not forget that. That was the movie that gave Ridley yeah. That's why we still have Ridley Scott. If it wasn't for that movie, I don't think we'd be talking about Ridley Scott today. And, and it's not a movie you'd expect from Ridley Scott. And I, right. I, I watched it again. I watched it again probably a couple of months ago, and um, it is very good. Michael Madsen's very charming in it. I mean, he finds a way to soften Michael Madsen right. without mm-hmm. demasculating him. Uh, you know, it and Harvey Keitel is Harvey Keitel's terrific. Yeah, it, and that's another thing. I mean, this is a year that Harvey Keitel is like has a comeback between this and Mortal Thoughts. Um, he plays the um, these like supporting parts that really give him into a whole new generation of moviegoers. But not, I mean, this movie the is very are, The women are, of course, wonderful. I'm, uh, yes. the, uh, you know, uh, among the big stories of the movie was a screenwriter, Kaylee Couric. Um, yeah. And I don't know... I'm sure that she had in mind a bigger career than she actually had. It reminds me of Diablo Cody, who was the big story of Juno, really. Um, And I I don't know if her career has turned out quite like people had hoped for, even though if she's working, I'm sure she's thrilled. Um, You know, so that's something to think about. But it probably underlines... Well, that probably both of those cases probably underline, you know, the difficulties that female screenwriters have in making inroads and 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 getting and getting female stories told. Really, uh, that's probably yeah. the biggest uh, hill to climb. Uh, you know, I mean, Thelma and Louise luckily had they had an action, uh, an action, um, a large action element to it, so. 
Uh, so it's probably a little easier. But uh, but Diablo <laughs> Cody's done well. I mean, she just did great, the great strip for Ricky in the Flash last year. Uh, the thing, she's a self-generating talent. She, you, you, know, you really want to bring up Ricky in the Flash with Dean on the show? Oh, man, <laughs> I hated that movie. Uh, I love that movie. I'm, I'm not a fan of, of, her, of Diablo Cody's work in general, I think. <laughs> Because I'm but not we're, a fan of. We're we're ignoring the elephant in the room that weekend, which was Hudson Hawk. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, kind of, I guess I don't know what the Suicide Squad of its day, except it actually did bomb. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just not. I don't even know if that statement makes sense. I mean, it's just not a it's it's not a good movie, it, and it started this trend that is that has only accelerated in the last. In the last generation of fan fanboydom, uh, any film with enough time will get reevaluated, and they'll be like, "No, it's actually good." When, <laughs> when actually, no, it's not. No, it's, it's not. not. No, Hudson it's Hawk not. is just like David Lynch's Dune. It's not good. Uh, love David Lynch. Dune is not good. We can hold, we can hold. <laughs> Although I get through Dune yeah. just by watching everything, like watching all the the costumes and the sets and stuff. But well, Dune really is actually movie. a better film than Hudson Hawk. Well, I understand yeah. what you're saying, but but let's talk, let's talk. You bring up a great point there, and this this whole this revitalization that we have, reevaluating these films that it should not be reevaluated. Um, and you compare it to Suicide Squad, which I find interesting because I just don't think Suicide Squad. Here's the thing. Here's the big difference between Hudson Hawk and Suicide Squad. We'll still be talking about Hudson Hawk in five years. No one's <laughs> going to talk about Suicide Squad. <laughs> I just don't. I don't mean. I mean that. Well, here's here's the thing. The here's the thing with the Hudson movie. Hawk that makes. This is what makes Hudson Hawk interesting to me. It's the same reason why Cobra is interesting to me. Except Cobra, I think, is an unintentionally great movie. <laughs> Hudson Hawk is a product of a lead actor's ego run amok. Mm-hmm. That's what I see when I watch Hudson Hawk, and that's what makes it an interesting case study for me. Let's throw yeah, everything I would to agree. the wall. I would agree. Let's see, let's, let's see what sticks. Uh, we can get away with it because this guy is in a position to do whatever he wants. Uh, 90% of it doesn't stick. About 10% of that movie has some, has some good laughs in it and some joyous moments. Timing the heist to the song... The do what right. he and Danny Aiello do, it mm-hmm. works beautifully. It's a ballsy kind of thing to put in a movie, and I thought it worked beautifully. Uh, everything else does not really. <laughs> and the thing is, it's Michael Lehman, the director, and this is a guy who gets his shot at a big film, coming off of the very, uh, you know, sarcastic uh, Heather's, uh, which, you know, whatever you may think of Heather's, I mean he. I mean, he was an original voice with that movie. And so here he is with a studio yeah. film, with a star, and it just, you know... It's just and it was unfair to him. I mean, because yeah. I, I mean, he got that... Uh, he took that failure on the, you know, hardest, I think, of all. I, I, I know right. that Bruce Willis gets bad press, but Bruce Willis, he's a major star. He can come back with another movie. It's a lot harder for Michael Lehman to do that. Right. Uh, so I do think that it did hinder or alter the course of Layman's career for the worse. Well, the uh, 
I just want to put in a two cents real quick on Hanging with the Homeboys, which this was its original release date, but actually came out a few weeks later because this summer had a lot of, was probably the first summer where we had a lot of uh, uh, quote-unquote black movies that came out, and so mm-hmm. Hollywood didn't, know, didn't want to stack, stagger them. But Hanging with the Homeboys was actually one of the better ones. It was kind of a an inner-city diner. Unfortunately, the director died of AIDS a couple of years later. And, oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. And um, so he had this film. He wrote he wrote one section of the Showtime movie Riot, about the L.A. riots. Mm-hmm. That's really, 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 really good. And Hang With the Homeboys is also noteworthy. People don't know. It has a really nice restrained, and I, I use that word, uh, really well because it's, you don't you don't associate it with, with this actor it has a very restrained performance by John Leguizamo. Um, so Hang with the Homeboys actually a really yeah. good lost little movie from that from that same okay. week. No, no, that's a good it's a good movie. I mean, it's a, it's a very mm-hmm. tight little movie. So I mean, it definitely deserves mm-hmm. to be talked about on this show. Mm-hmm. So the following week we get Soap Dish. Which uh, uh-huh. I've always liked. Uh, big cast, big comedy. Kevin Klein, good showcase for Kevin Klein, and uh, Sally Field. And I always thought it was very, very funny satire on soaps. Mm-hmm. So, um, wasn't a big comedy hit, uh, but it has its following now. Or you get your clothes on your ends here. You lowlife, lecherous, Laurie. She left ten minutes ago. Don't insult my intelligence. Laurie! Why are you here? This is my apartment. I live here. Why are you here? I'll tell you why I'm here. Oh, I'll tell you why I'm here. I'm here because... Go on, go on, say it. I... Go on, say it. I... I want you, Jeffrey. I'm consumed with jealousy for my niece because I want you for myself. Oh, please. You still have feelings for me. Admit it. I have feelings about you, not for you. There's a very big difference. No, you're ashamed of them, but you still have the feelings. You realize what a terrible mistake it was throwing me out of your life 110 years ago. Look at you. You're exactly the same, even for an actor. You're an egomaniac. Of course I'm an egomaniac. I've got American sweetheart climbing up my drain pipe. I didn't know it was your drain pipe. I thought it was someone else's drain pipe. No, you know it was mine. Eyes, they're burning. I've got the flu. No, they're burning with passion. You're full of shit. Of course I'm full of shit, but not about that. Soap opera culture was a lot more pronounced back then in 91 than it is today. Yeah. Uh, I think. Um, I mean, you have 50-year-old shows that ha- are not on anymore because they're not ratings for them. Right. So I-, I wonder if that satire would play the same today. I don't I don't know if it would. I don't think it would. I, I don't... I don't f- they would have to... They would have to, <clears throat> you know, move it to the rea- reality TV or something like that, right? To, to make I it work, or something, or right. something like, or something like a Telemundo kind of, which is what Eva Longoria tried to do with her primetime show, and that didn't work, right? You know, the soaps on Telemundo. I I really don't think that the uh, the soap um, revolution, you know, the the soap 
uh, opera movement or whatever. I just don't think it connects with that many people, really. I mean, well, not even, the people even that the it does connect with, they're watching soaps. They're not, I, I, don't, I just, I don't know. <laughs> they're not like, leaving the house. The satire of reality TV uh, is having a hard time connecting with people. That that show on A&E, was it Unreality or whatever? Unreal? Yeah, I mean, Unreal. Supposedly, people, supposedly it's good, but the ratings uh, are diminishing from season one to season two. So mm. the thing, the question is, why why watch a satire of a soap on re- or you know reality TV when you can just watch the real thing when it's already but, ridiculous enough? And it's and it's already uh, almost a satire of itself, you know. Yeah. These two place these two uh, movements. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, mean, I personally I've never watched Soap Dish because it just doesn't look like my cup of tea, really. Although, I'll tell you, uh, Gary Gary Marshall is in it, and I love him so much as an actor, uh, and uh, that was one of the main things I I lamented when he passed earlier this year, uh, was his value as an actor, and so so I wish he he had done more stuff, and people reminded me of uh, Soap Dish, and also of... um, uh, his role on uh, what was the the uh, Candace Bergen show? Murphy, Murphy Brown. Brown. Murphy Brown. Murphy yeah. Brown. But he's, he's, and, great, uh, he's and, great in Lost in America. His one scene yeah. in Lost, Lost in America. And early on, he was a very fine commercial filmmaker, uh, Flamingo Kid. And it's just as a coincidence, I had picked up the Blu-ray of Nothing in Common, literally like two weeks before he passed. Mm. Um, and nothing in common is uh, is a terrific movie. Oh, it, yeah, with a great. I think that's what killed him. <laughs> yeah. And then the uh, fact that she and, bought that Blu-ray, I think that's what did him in. <laughs> yeah, okay. like, oh my God, someone bought this. I mean, <laughs> the first week of June, this is a good weekend. Like I said, we got City Slickers, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, and Jungle Fever. Now, wow, something for everybody. Yeah, yes. I mean that was that's a great. You don't have those. You don't have you, any of these. That's two out of that's two out of three re, uh, great movies. Uh, City Slickers and Jungle Fever. Don't tell mom. It it could be a little. It's like a wannabe John Hughes movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though Christina Applegate's really charming in it, really cute in it. But she gets better as she gets older. I mean, right. let's be honest, I mean, she really finds her funny bone, like her real talent after Married with Children. I think we can all agree that she gets better once that show's off the air. But uh, City Slickers, I think, is actually a great American comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it was one of those... Uh, and Jungle Fever uh, is, one, is a, according to Jerry, it's a light movie. Uh, well, it's, not a light, yeah, it's not a light... I'm not saying it, but it's, it's... Let me put it to you like this, though. I mean, that's... That is truly a great Spike Lee film. Uh, he don't make them like that anymore. Well, uh, it's funny. I I saw that a while back, and um, and it's the same. It, it's an almost great Spike Lee film because uh, the problem with it is that uh, the leads are the weakest thing in it. They, that's exactly right. That's exactly it. But it's who all is the, great in that? Who is it's great? The, it's the supporting performances that really land with you. Like it's all it's all the fallout of their affair that yeah. makes the movie exciting. Their yeah. romance is is really it's rather an tepid. It's yeah. an excuse. Yeah, no, it's 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 it's, it's Samuel L. Jackson's um, hmm. 
Um, performance is just um, and Halle Berry yeah. too. Yo, baby, bruh, Cyrus, black man, successful and shit. I want y'all to meet my new woman, Viv. That's short for Vivian. She good people. I like her. Mm-hmm. I was most fortunate to make her acquaintance most recently. That's my baby brother, Flipper, the one I've been telling you about. He's an architect and shit. And that's his main man, Cyrus. He, uh, damn, what is it you do again? I teach high school. Damn, that's right. He's a high school teacher and shit. You know, hey, I'm sorry, man. You know, my mind's getting bad. I gotta go. You leaving me? I gotta go. You promised. I promise. My lips are sealed. Uh, Vivian, nice to meet you, Gator. Peace, two fingers. Peace. Yo, Viv, would you let two loving brothers get a moment alone to get reacquainted and shit, you know what I'm saying? Where the fuck am I supposed to go? I don't know where the fuck but I am. don't give a fuck where you go. Well, can't you skin ass off the school? You're sitting in the motherfucking swing away from me. Swing, motherfucker, that's coming to the out here. I'm gonna get get the motherfucking money from my brother here. Goddamn it. What you want, motherfucker? Get this shit in your mouth. Shit, smoke this shit. Fuck you, motherfucker. Give me a motherfucking light. Goddamn it. Take this goddamn light. Take this goddamn light. Take your motherfucking ass away. You better hurry your ass or you better come back for some motherfucking money. Hurry the fuck up. Shit. Go, 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 go. Oh, I like her. The scene where they, where he kills his son, it, it, still to this day, it's one of the most heart-wrenching scenes. I just, oh, I, tr- yeah. I tried to watch the movie a, a couple of months ago, and I had to fast forward through it because I just, I just knew that it was, it was too heartbreaking for me to watch. That subplot, I think, is the among the very best thing that Spike Lee's ever done. I think yeah. the weakness of the movie, the weakness of the movie is its central premise because I think everyone's on a different page about what it means. Now, is it just a mystique that draws her to him? Or is it true love and vice versa? Uh, I don't think they ever come to any kind of conclusion, so it feels very confused. Uh, like, they're not on the same page. I know that Annabella Sciorra disagree completely with Spike Lee about how to portray that relationship. And I think that's what shows in the movie. And um, and the crack house sequence is probably one of the great sequences of that mm-hmm. year. Yes. Uh, the use mm-hmm. of, just of Montague and the use of the Stevie Wonder song and a terrific cameo by uh, Charlie Murphy as a drug yeah. dealer living large. Uh, right. And, and, a, and a good Stevie Wonder soundtrack. I love yeah, that hey, Stevie hey, Wonder soundtrack. Guys, would it be, and you can edit this out, Jamie, if you want, but this movie came out um, a year after my city's mayor was caught on, on video, um, busted for, you know, a lot of things, but for crack cocaine, uh, Marion Barry, but his son today yeah. um, passed away from a drug overdose. Yeah. Mm. Marion Barry's well, that's, son that's died. Well, that's another thing. Yeah, I read that about his son, and that's another thing about Spike Lee's movies. To a large extent, his movies are a stew of different elements. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll go together, maybe they won't. I mean, the the one that doesn't go together for me is the um, the one where he sells his body out. It's about the economic fallout. Anthony Mackie. Which oh, one is? What's me. that one called? She hates me. She hates me. Oh, oh, she hates me. Those, those are two. Those are two totally different kinds of themes he's working on, and he's trying to connect them, and it doesn't work. But in right. something like Jungle Fever, 
you know, crack epidemic was huge at that time. Um, And he throws that in there, and it does feel organic, of course, to that Samuel Jackson subplot and how it affects Wesley Snipes and his family. Right. Uh, also, the very the very last scene of Jungle Fever, the very last shot, is so powerful and operatic. Yeah. And it leaves you kind of breathless, like oh, like a gut punch. Uh, it's, uh, that movie is half of a absolutely brilliant, uh, just harrowing experience for me. Mm-hmm. It's just, and it is a time capsule. If you really want to know what was going on. At a, a certain point in uh, New York, and then therefore parts of the country, in summer of ninety ninety one, mm-hmm. you know, you just go look at Jungle Fever, and it has, it it just captures a moment. Even the clothes, I mean, the clothes are of the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. You know, the fashion, the hair, you know, yeah. the lingo, the music—it's all literally of the moment. Even the girl talk. The girl talk is a total. You know, Oprah moment. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so it's just you're absolutely right. I mean, mm-hmm. about City Slickers, I remember going to go see Bobcat Goldthwait in concert that year, and I, it must have been around this time because the very first thing he said when he went on stage, he said, "City Slickers is the big hit uh, today. Uh, it's about four yuppies who go out in the woods to find their smile." It's finally a movie made for people just like me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was an early David Paymer um, performance, mm-hmm. one of the Ice Cream Brothers. And it was a good showcase for actually for Daniel Stern. Um, but su- superb yeah. for him. I mean, that's yeah. what I remember. I mean, yeah. he really came yeah. into his own in that movie. Yeah. yeah but of course, the... it was it was it was the showcase for Jack Palance. Like oh, yes. the, the the most unex, unexpected story to come out of that movie was his Oscar mm-hmm. win and his reemergence. I mean, just just from that one movie, it wasn't capitalized right. on, but you know he had that resurgence because of that movie. Well, the following week we have uh, Bright Angel, Kickboxer Two, and Robin Hood: Prince of Thieves. Now, by default, Bright Angel is the good movie of that bunch. Um, the director never came to much after that, unfortunately. But it's a good. Could you re re re? Could you re? What was that? I don't remember Bright Angel. Could you? Uh, uh, Lily Taylor and uh, Sam Shepard and Dermot Maroney has kind of a Days of Heaven kind of vibe. They're kind of just wandering I through. I vaguely remember yeah. it. I'd have to go back and watch it again, though, and I'd be more than happy to uh, yeah. watch it. Robin Hood was kind of one of those deals. It. I, funny thing about Robin Hood, I did not see it in theaters, not because I didn't want to. It's just one of those films every week, like, oh, let's go see Robin Hood. And then, like, the other film that opened that week, like, took precedent over mm-hmm. Robin Hood. And so I just never got to it. And the thing is, that if you go look at the charts, the box office mojo charts, Robin Hood stayed in the top ten literally that whole summer. It just I'm did not. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, man. Robin Hood was a huge hit. Robin Hood was the first movie I could remember that was still playing in theaters when it came out on video. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just kept... Yeah, that's incredible. That doesn't happen that... Well, you got... It was was basically... It was the star effect because literally, what, three months earlier, Costner had just won uh, Best Director for Dance with... Best Picture Mm -hmm. for Dance with Wolves. 
so he could do no wrong. Now, and it's interesting, this is where we get an early inkling of backlash culture, because Robin Hood goes and opens to $25 million, which was a big weekend at the time, but the review, you know, so everyone was going, but the reviews were scathing on the film, yeah, and to the point it was like they were, it was one of it was one of those cases of uh, critics were re-reviewing Costner, the 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 star, through the movie, and it was kind of unfair. Just you know, he was miscast, wasn't very good in it, but there seemed to be a lot of tis tisking of, is this guy overrated? Um, to me, the worst thing about uh, the worst thing about it, and the thing that made me like cut it off and almost immediately was his performance. Was just I just cannot take a performer who <laughs> is playing supposedly with an accent and can't keep the accent. It just it 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 drives me nuts. It's one of my big pet peeves. It's something that I think you know ruined, for instance. Uh, Lady Hawk, and uh, because of Matthew Broderick's performance, uh, and has ruined other um, Kevin Costner uh, movies. You know, I mean, it comes close to ruining, uh, you know, Thirteen Days for me for with his boss, terrible Boston accent. He just can't do accents. Very well, rare. Are you trying to say that his made-up character in Thirteen Days is? I mean, it's made up. It's an imaginary character. It's like him. It's like the it's like the bunny from Goodnight Moon is in the movie all of a sudden. But um but no no, can I can I say something about Robin Hood though? Are we all forgetting the elephant in the room, the Patrick Bergen, Uma Thurman T V movie on Fox? Remember Fox had those T V movies they were making like that summer? Oh yeah, they rushed that one to compete and you know, it was just you could tell it was a rush job to you know, Robin Hood was like the you know, it was the Pavlovian effect, like Robin Hood, Robin Hood, Robin Hood. So they, I mean, they were, it was TNT actually. I remember that. Um, okay, yeah, but, but remember that was actually that was not a bad movie. If I'm not, that Patrick Patrick Bergen was actually very good. Now it's not the same league with Robin Hood Men in Tights, though. Let's not get let's not get our carried away here. That's the best of all the modern Robin Hood. You know, the, the best Robin Hood, you know, obviously other than Errol Flynn, is actually the last ten minutes of the Ridley Scott Robin Hood. The last ten minutes of the Ridley Scott Robin Hood is just, really, really good. Just and the last ten minutes? Yeah. What about yeah, the rest of it? It's, it's, it's slow, <laughs> man. It's, it's hard to sit through it. And I saw that on a midnight screening of that movie. But Aaron is absolutely right. The last ten minutes of that movie are, um, if only the, fir- if the, if the rest of the movie could have been that good. Um, if the first two hours and twenty minutes were only yeah. as good as the rest <laughs> Yeah, it's, crazy. It's, it's where my colon is in such agony. Um, yes, you're absolutely right, Aaron. If only the the rest of the movie could have been that good. Um, and Robin Hood, let's also remember Robin, and people, you know, why was Robin Hood such a hit? Obviously it was Costner. It had a big cast because it was Morgan Freeman, Christian Slater, who was up and, and coming. And Alan Rickman. And Alan let's Rickman. Not, let's was not his, forget, he was superb. Name, he, it, he's a strong he Name boy. recognition. Yeah, it was his first villain role since Die Hard. But this is also a case of I, I believe that I remember as a kid I remember the impression I got of it, of the trailer selling you the movie because remember the mm. trailer had that big moment of the POV of the arrow, right, and, right, right, That's and we had right. you'd never seen anything like that in a in a in a movie 
And I remember that's all. I remember that's all anyone was talking about when that when that trailer hit was the POV. And era. by the way, uh, I mean, don't underestimate the power of a popular song too. Oh yeah, Brian. You could oh not, yeah. You could not get away from everything I do. I do it for you. Oh, that's <laughs> probably the best thing about it. Hey, in my nineteen ninety five, I worked at Crown Books, and the manager, I I love that song. It's my all time favorite song. I wanted to slip my wrist after she said that, because <laughs> what you were listening to punk and everything, right? At I was listening to punk and metal and rap and everything. I wouldn't have gotten any of the song from Robin and Prince of Thieves. Or well, I I put, it, I put it right up there with, um, and I love Brian Adams. I, I like him a lot. But I put it right up there with I don't want to miss a thing from Aerosmith in that it got so annoying. I don't want to hear yeah. even the opening bar of this ever again. <laughs> All right, well, the following week, uh, we got Dying Young, we got The Rocketeer, and Suburban Commando. Once again, Ooh. by default, The Rocketeer is the better movie. Joe Johnson is one of those directors who's probably... I love the idea of Joe Johnson, but most of his movies always seem to come up just a couple of feet short than mm-hmm. what they could be. Uh, Rocketeer is a lot of, is like I said, very square fun. The thing about Dying Young, which is interesting, like Costume with Robin Hood, this was the Julia Roberts effect because just right. four months earlier. Uh, I mean, she had the, the, the hit of the spring of sleeping with the enemy. Uh, and now she's in this, you know, this film, which was, you know, positioned as the summer weepy, the summer, you know, the, you know basically it was positioned as the summer's ghost kind of thing. And it just doesn't uh, work. In you know what's interesting? Dying Young, Dying Young is a good experiment. Well, not a good experiment, but it's an interesting one. Can you put... Well, people watch the world's biggest actress in anything. Uh, Julia Roberts looks stunning in the movie. She's gorgeous in the movie. Um, And Joel Schumacher knows how to film faces, knows how to film sexiness, you know. But uh, you're sticking her in a movie called Dying Young. Well, people go see a movie called Dying Young. (laughs) If that movie had a different title, not changing a frame of the movie, I bet it would have done a little bit better. It would have. I don't know. Yeah. I. 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 That exactly. I mean, I can't say it any better. It's just, you know, right. why would it, Why would it, people go see this movie? I. I did go see it. Uh, I. I have to say, and uh, it was. Uh, it was a slog. It was. Well, a slog. It, it, yeah. It, it, if the movie, if the movie were called Love Story, people go see it. If it's called Dying Young, people. <laughs> what about Dying Young? What about dying young love story? Now that well, I, I well, think the thing that is, Campbell Scott, <laughs> Campbell Scott is not a warm presence. Yes, he, he's a lot of he's a, he's a he's a good actor, but he's never been warm. You needed you needed a warm you needed someone with, you know, someone you actually, you know, here's a good question: Do do you want him? Not, do you want the person not to die? And so you don't want Ally McGraw to die. You could you could care less if Campbell shot makes it or not. Hillary O'Neill had little experience and a lot of possibility. I'm answering the ad. Do you know anything about chemotherapy? Well, I need help during it. So why would you pick me? 
Had the shortest skirt, huh? Oh, actually, uh, no, there was one with a shorter skirt. But he was never a candy striper. <laughs> Victor had all life could offer, except the one thing he needed. I don't think I can deal with this. I'm not going to die. I'm going to recover. But I can't do it without help. I can't do it without you. For them, the best medicine in life is knowing that there's hope. Campbell Scott doesn't have nearly the amount of warmth as his father did. <laughs> no, yeah. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, God. his dad was all cuddly and hardcore. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah he's very cuddly. On the 28th, right. we get... Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want to touch on The Rocketeer again. Okay. I mean, like, is, it, is, is this a movie... Is, is this a movie that deserves re-evaluation? These days, because I, I I do think it's an important sort of brick in that whole. Uh, even though it was a you know somewhat of a financial failure, um, I do feel like it's a brick in that in the in the ascendance of uh, superhero movies. Yeah, uh, it's getting so, a re, it's getting a reboot. I mean, as we speak, it is getting a there is a reboot coming, from what I understand. Hmm. I, didn't, I, I didn't know there was a reboot. Well, no, what is, I remember liking, actually a sequel or something coming. What I remember liking about it, I guess kind of like, like I said, I like the squareness of it. The whole, you know, the, you know, the whole Nazi, you know, subplot. You know that they want these rockets to come across the Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Timothy Dalton was actually a lot of fun. Um, and so Jennifer Connelly. I think it kind of it does kind of fall down with Billy Campbell as the lead. I mean, like there's just something yeah. sort of yeah, sort I mean, of blah it's not about a him. Bad movie. It's just not a. I mean, it's it's trying to just capitalize on this. You know, in the '90s, you get this whole retro, starting with Dick Tracy, The Rocketeer, and The Phantom, then The Shadow. You know, yeah. what happens, you know, and that same that same thing, by the way, is going on this summer with Tarzan and a couple of years ago, John Carter and the Lone Ranger. It's like yeah. Hollywood does not learn that stuff from the early last century just isn't going to work. It's not going to yeah. work today. But it's so it's so, so interesting uh, the this, the slate of superhero movies that we're talking about because they are largely square and old fashioned, including, of course, Dick Tracy. But they all emanated from the popularity of Batman. And Batman was the anti those movies. Uh, so I I think people were just so wrapped up in seeing a different, darker version of those movies that yeah. Rocketeer didn't have a chance. I mean, going back to a wholesome, kind of serialized form. The message they learned is, oh, they like comic books. They didn't realize, oh, we need to make this, uh, re- we need to put a new spin on the comic book, which is what Tim Burton right. did. Now yeah, Dick Tracy is, exactly. is Dick Tracy is obviously very square, but Warren Beatty did put a spin on it. I mean, he might be bland in the movie, but everything around him is pretty visual. You know, it's a very so, colorful movie, though. It's a yeah. very it's a very beautiful movie, yeah. but it's also Warren Beatty. And I say this as I I finally saw like on the big screen a trailer yesterday or the day before from the new Warren Beatty film, which I I don't know what to think of, guys. I have no idea what to think of, but um. Hmm. How about just how about just the long series of Z's? <laughs> there, there is that. I mean, for, for for being not just that, but for the implications of the movie and the other actors in the movie, I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. This mm-hmm. is what we've been waiting for. Couldn't Jack Nicholson be in the movie at this point? I mean, <laughs> just anything. 
Hell, I'd take Jack Bob Todd at this moment. Um, but never mind. Jack Nicholson the is thing not about, coming back. The thing about Jack- the Rocketeer that really keeps me going through it, just like in in Dick Tracy, is the design of the movie. I mean, the design of the sets and the costumes is so is so magnificent, and it's all it's all photographed fairly well. But uh, it really keeps me going. Uh, although I remember not feeling incredibly excited by the movie, but just uh, just uh, pleased with its look, you know, yeah. which is kind of the same way I felt about Dick Tracy, frankly. Yeah. So. Yeah. so the following week we have the art, the the foreign film hit of the summer, Europa Europa, by Neska Holland, uh, and. Make a gun, two and a half. The smell of fear. <laughs> I'm actually. A, I'm I actually talk about both of these at, at, for a long time. Um, I'm a fan of Naked Gun too. Oh, two I think half. it's a funny, funny, funny movie, and I mean, it. I miss those kind of movies. If that makes sense, I miss. I miss those kind of movies. We don't have those kind of movies anymore. Those kind of comedies. Well, those, I mean, they were the only guys that could do it reasonably well. Let's put it that way. Them and, and I guess to a certain extent, like Pat Proft and that kind of right. crew that did, uh, you know, that did some of the Hot Shots movies and stuff like that. But uh, but nowadays, the the only equivalent that we have is like the scary movie uh, and not even kind of movies. people. It's just a series of guys. They're not even the coherent story left. At least in the three Naked Gun movies, you have actually a coherent storyline. Right. You don't even yeah. have that now. You, like, remember in the mid, what are we calling it? What do we call the first decade of the 21st century, the aughts? Is that what we call it? Yes. Okay, so remember we had, like, date movie, epic movie, disaster movie? Remember right. Those? I mean, if you remember them, I feel sorry for you because I'm trying to forget them. But, um, <laughs> you know, but... You know, we don't even have those movies were unique as the first two air the first I mean not the first you know, the two airplane movies were unique. But you actually had a plot, you had a screenplay actually. So they, these movies were actually very funny. Um the Navy Gun and, and and they were popular they're populated by jokes they're populated by jokes that weren't a hundred percent takeoffs on movies that you've seen before. Right. Yeah. Like th- there there was actual humor that came from the characters. You know, Frank Drebin was a hysterical character. Norberg, in his kind of clumsiness, uh, you know, he was just as clumsy as he was when he killed Nicole. Uh, th- that was actually, <laughs> actually funny in the next <laughs> What are you doing here? I called your hotel. I got no answer. Then I tried the station house. I thought maybe you'd be here. Good evening, Sam. Mr. Drebin. Jane. Always nice to see nice people. Sam, play our song. Just one more time. Of course. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Witch, oh witch, the wicked witch. Ding dong, the witch uh, is Sam, dead. Sam, Sam, uh, that's enough. Play, uh, play the other one, please. You can't let all hers die, can you? You walk out of my life. No explanation. Didn't you get the letters I sent you? Every one of them. Didn't open them. Tore them up, threw them in the fire. Then you didn't get the check for 75000 that your uncle left you in his will? Why are you here? I remembered something about the crime. As I was looking out the window, I saw a red van parked across the street. 
Red Van, oh, thank you. That'll be very helpful. So, you said your piece, you can go now, right? Oh, Frank, we're no good together. All you ever lived for was your police work. Yes, you were always busy trying to save the end zone layer. Ozone layer. You never tried to understand. How can you say that? When I sank every penny I had into buying that 1,000 acres of Brazilian rainforest, then I had it slashed and burned so we could build our dream house. Frank, how could you be so insensitive? Insensitive? You think it's easy displacing an entire tribe? You try it sometime. Oh, I'd better go. This was a mistake. I don't even know why I came here. I was hoping you'd be happy, that you'd have someone. I'm single. I, I love being single. I haven't had this much sex since I was a Boy Scout leader. I mean, at the time, I was dating a lot. The other movie's release that day is, I, and, and forgive me for saying, I think one of the best movies ever made about the Holocaust. I agree. I mean, I love Schindler's List, don't get me wrong, and I love The Pianist. I mean, I'm not denigrating the films at all, but there are certain scenes in this movie, on um, the scene where, how do I say it, there's a scene where the main character is in a class, and they say what it, the definition of an Aryan is, and he fits that, and he's yes. Jewish. And I, think, and I remember watching this, because I didn't get to see the theater, but I watched it on videotape when it first came out. And, you know, I couldn't stop laughing because I was like, my God, they think this guy's an Aryan? I mean, my God. And it's just such a well-done movie. And she turned out, she's an excellent director. Uh, and and you like Holland, she's superb. I don't think she's made a bad movie yet. This movie is so well, powerful. she made the Arthur Rambeau movie. What, what movie? That Arthur Rambeau movie with DiCaprio. Oh, wait. Uh, which oh, one right. was that called? Which one was that called? Which one was that? <clears throat> Totally clips. Oh yeah, yeah totally okay. Clips. You know, Aaron, you're absolutely right. I, I've only seen parts of that on cable. I think Bravo at the time when Bravo showed movies. Still, so, um, you're absolutely. I, I, I stand corrected. <laughs> but but uh, Europa, Europa is obviously her her masterpiece and right. Well, that's her calling card because they got her uh, Secret Garden. Yeah, this is a good movie. That's a good movie. I like that movie. And now she's mostly doing television. She's mostly doing episodic television. Well, she I, I think she. She I made a movie didn't. called In Darkness, remember, a couple of years ago, about the um, the Jews who hid in the sewers. Um, I think oh, yeah. Poland. And that was a very good movie. That's a, a very, that was sort of like a, a redo of Canal, of, uh, of Andre Wydas Canal. Yeah, mm-hmm. what, uh, what What show does she usually do? Uh, uh, well, I just saw her name. I think she did an episode of... Um, she did an episode of Fargo, I think, this last this I, last season. I think you're right. I think okay. you're right. And um, so I I just see her name pop up occasionally. Like I know she did an episode of The Wire, which oh, that's you right. know. So I mean, like she 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 pops up occasionally in in television. So, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned In Darkness because uh, it's good to know that she's still out there. But Europa, <laughs> Europa. If people have never seen this, this is a, probably a more amazing story than than Schindler's List is, frankly. In that, uh, and it's just an amazing survival story uh, and a kind of a one of a kind, uh, and also a great. I, I think the lead performance by Marco uh, Hofschneider, who's who's not, you know, I don't really see his name around anymore, but. Uh, 
Uh, I think he's very good in it, and uh, Julie Delphi is also extremely, extremely oh, good in it. Yeah, later on. no, no, she is. So Europa, Europa, people. 